Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 222, I Wouldn't Trust Me Either. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 21 of Battlestar Galactica, Daybreak Part 1, and season 4, episode 12 of Angel, Calvary. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Uh, Daybreak, part one. So, uh, yeah, an interesting episode. I mean, it's always tough when you have part ones, but, like, it's tough when you have part ones of, like, a double episode, and it's now, like, really tough when we know there's going to be three Right, it's a like, triple episode, yeah. There's so much setup being done here for, like, later payoffs that, um, as we were kind of talking through, like, how we wanted to talk about the episode, it kind of became clear, like, we might actually have a fairly short discussion. I say short, like, it might still be, like, 45 minutes long, but, like, yeah. maybe yeah. not a full hour, and, and hopefully, certainly not more than an hour. Yeah. Uh, but, um I think before we get started and like the plot and stuff, you you had maybe a few production notes kind of on that note. Um, just quick ones um, to note that uh, the entire finale was uh, written by Ron Moore. So, um, you know, kind of going back to in the same way that, that the episode revisits the roots of, you know, Caprica before the fall, you know, the, the showrunner obviously gets to you know, write the finale that, you know, he, of the show that he created and sort of shepherded this whole way. Um, and, uh, so even though they were split up a little bit on broadcast, I think part one aired separately, um, then parts two and three, um, we're going to talk about the extended version of these, which are like one continuous thing. When I pulled it up, I, forgot that on the blu-ray that it's like a two and a half hour continuous block um so sure. uh but luckily it pauses very neatly at exactly 45 minutes is sort of you know adamasis let's do this and that's like the end of part one so it's a pretty easy place to pause um so that's all i mean i might come back with more general production notes at the very end to talk about like reception and that kind of thing but um I think we can save that for the actual end of the story. Gotcha. All right. Um, so I wanted to start with sort of the flashbacks. And and I wanted to do this because, um, I'll be honest, like, while there are certainly, like, a few things that are, like, parallels between the flashbacks and, like, the main story, and I just realized we forgot to add to our list of flashbacks, Sam, um, mm. you know, like things like Sam's in a tub and mm -hmm. it, like in his flashback. And of course, like in the now time he's like in the water and, you know, yeah. Mr. Hybrid and stuff. So like, like I, there's some, I almost said interesting. I don't even know if they're that interesting. Just kind of like, like, hmm, that's clever parallels there, mm. but I don't know that, there's a ton of resonance, at least at this point. Now, maybe they become more important in later episodes, but, mm -hmm. you know, or later 
later parts of this episode, I guess, because like you said, it is kind of all one block. But um, I don't know. And maybe as we talk through them, we'll we'll be able to suss out a little more. So tell me if you have a different sense. But mm-hmm. um, like, so for example, I mean, like Adamus is actually just really kind of a short little thing, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that and that really maybe never having watched it quite this way before, certainly not paying attention this closely. That really was the most surprising part of it to me was at least between parts one, two, and three of this finale, the uneven distribution of the flashbacks that like, you know, you get just that one little snippet with Adama that is really, there's really no hardly any context even for it other than you know one line or two about you can kind of make a guess as to what's going on but you never really find what? out that's whereas, kinda... whereas like Adama and Baltar get several like extended sequences of much more information and context Rosalind? about yes what did I say you said Adama and Baltar Adama and Baltar Rosalind and Baltar yeah. For example, get longer sequences of more like they have actual like plot lines going on here. Um, so that was definitely stood out to me on rewatch was like, oh, the the headliner of the show gets like one yeah. little hint of a story and that's it. Um and versus some other people. So 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 I guess if we are trying to tease out a little bit more um like yeah like there is no explicit explanation to what they're talking about i took it to mean like going to like the whole ceremony of like the opening of the galactica as a museum basically right like this is like the retirement discussion right yeah right like yeah like okay you you're retiring but this is kind of your last official act and like Adama didn't even want to be there, which, you know, fair enough. Like, I don't even remember if we get that, like, in the original miniseries, like. Yeah, I don't think that we do, really. I mean, I don't get the sense of him being, like, maybe he's someone who, you know, those people who are worried about retirement in the sense of, oh, what am I going to do with myself? You know, I'll have to, like, keep busy, that kind of thing. But even in this little scene, I feel like we get a stronger sense of him being unhappy with this decision. Like, like actively fighting against the retirement of himself and Galactica a little bit. Like he's defending all the things that he's done and his credentials and everything. Yeah. I I guess. And I guess I kind of looked at it even a little different way. Not so much that he's, fighting against his own retirement per se but more the like official like just the ceremony of it all Mm. like more like like can i just retire and go off and be by myself so maybe i mean and given the context maybe either of those is fine to like think through like i don't know that we get enough to like decide one way or another but um that's kind of the way i took it anyway it was more more the officialness of it all and not that like 
like almost like by defending his credentials it's like haven't i done enough already like do i really mm. need to do this one last thing and the guy's like well sometimes there's things that you just have to do like mm. yes you've done all this other stuff but this is kind of like the last thing that you need to do that's and funny because i think i took it more as a look at all this stuff i've done how can you do this to me kind of conversation um and how, and maybe how dare that's you it. tell me when it's time to retire? I'd say when it's time for me and my battle star to retire. But maybe maybe it's not that easy to tell. Like, that's kind of the idea yeah. of it being like a 10-second window into a conversation that we right. don't have context for. Um, which is, like, interesting then. Okay, why have it at all? Like... I don't, well, that's yeah, an open-ended question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, that's kind of, so, you, do you want my cynical answer or my non-cynical answer? My cynical answer is, because sure. we have three episodes worth of stuff to fill in here. So, let's do some flashbacks that are kind of, maybe not pointless, but like, hmm. maybe not totally necessary either. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... You know, it could just be too, just like reflect, like the whole like alternative history of like reflecting on what could have been. Because I feel like we've gotten that already with like some of the characters, like with the whole projection of Boomer mm -hmm. and Tyrrell. Like that's a little more in context and a little more understandable. And you know, there's some fakery going on there, like trickery. But mm -hmm. like maybe that's part of it too, of like. This is just like, you know, their their version of like lost like sideways flashes, right? Like, sure, you know, uh, like, and not that because I mean I think these are actual flashbacks, but like, yeah, not that it's but like the thing of like, oh, this is the conversation where Adama is talking about retirement. Like, what if he had just not gone on to the Battlestar? Like, how different would it have been? And, like, mm -hmm. all of those kinds of questions. And, like, you know, rinse and repeat for all of the flashbacks that mm -hmm. we get. Um, mm -hmm. So. Well, and some of it is a purely nostalgic thing in the sense of just the, I, I mean, this is maybe an intent. I'm not saying it, it necessarily achieves the effect, but like the pleasure of showing the audience back to where it started, like yeah. just the pure let's reminisce as to where everybody was four years ago when, when everything, yeah. and, and that's part of the ritual of the story ending um, is closing I mean, you get it within the story of, like, bookends in terms of plot points, like, of, like, Adama gives another big speech in the hangar deck, so you're recalling the, like, so say we all moment and everything, but, like, I think the flashbacks do that implicitly, too, of, like, where it started was, um, you know, you had scenes on Caprica with, like, not telling these stories specifically, like, these are showing new things, but still, it's like seeing Roslyn and Baltar and Caprica Six, like, kind of closer to where they were at the beginning of the story. It gives you that sense of 
closing the loop and returning back to the origin point and everything. Sure. But like some of them clearly like, I mean, I don't, well, maybe I, I don't know how much it matters. What order we go in. Sam's is definitely the most connected in terms of, you can see the exact foreshadowing of where he ends up. Mm. Um, which for as much as it's very on the nose, I think actually really works. Like it's kind of in some ways the one I like the best of as long as we're going to do this idea of there's a plan and a purpose and a story being written by a, you know, by this author, this invisible kind of hand of God that's orchestrating everything. I kind of like that if that's what's going on, that we really go for the kind of, um, you know, things in the past reflect things that are going to happen in the future. Mm. So the way that Sam not only is in a tub visually, but like expresses the beauty of the physical world that he wants to be connected to mm-hmm. and then cut to like him being connected to math and physics on a level that he right. could never on have a even sort contemplated. Of co- cosmic, yeah, scale, yeah. And that, like, that's just a satisfying moment of, like, ah, like, I felt that kind of thing click into place. Um, you know, so I'm not sure if any of the others even try to achieve that effect that Sam's, and maybe that's what makes Sam different than all the rest of them, like, as one of the final five and this secret like, because all the others are either human, the ones we get flashbacks for, anyway, are either human or, like, Caprica 6 and Boomer, like, we pretty much know they're silent from the beginning. Like, Sam's the only one who had this, like, big moment of revelation. So maybe that's kind of why his flashback feels a little bit different. I don't know. Or yeah. I'm overthinking it and... Well, and the other thing is like, so Sam's the only one who gets a flashback who we don't, who, who like we didn't see is like, he wasn't an original cast member. Right. right like from the miniseries. Sure. So everyone else, I believe, yeah, was in the miniseries. So, but he doesn't come. Is it season two, like beginning of season two, when he yeah mm-hmm. comes in, right? Um, so like there's there's a bit there too of like we're going even further back, and I just I want like for me like maybe part of that's like they can just do a little more <laughs> with him, like because like it's a little more believable because like right. when we first see him, he's like Mister Resistance Fighter Leader, and we kind of know he has a backstory of being a pyramid you know player and whatever but like there's more distance there to kind of do stuff with him i think for me right there's less there's less or sorry there's more backstory to tell than yeah that's less uh, less covered ground less like there's less baggage that he's carried like he's dropped his baggage by -hmm. the time we see him in season two Uh, you know taking this flashback being you know however far back you know, you go like we don't mm-hmm. like we see Roslyn as the education secretary before the attack, right? Like, 
and we see Adama as like the retiring, mm-hmm. you know, commander before the attack, and like all of these other people kind of in their various mm-hmm. roles. Like we've seen all them in those roles already, but Sam we haven't. Mm-hmm. So that that just might be another explanation for why it's a little different, and and why maybe it works better. In a right, way. right. Like seeing Sam at the peak of his like celebrity. Um, mm-hmm. celebrity athlete fame is something we haven't seen before. Like we've heard about it, but right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then like, like Baltar. So I, like, I keep trying to think of like contrasts. I don't, I don't really, or, or connections between like the then and you know the flashback and the now and like with Adama I don't really think I mean other than maybe that quote from whoever it is he's talking to of like sometimes there are things you just got to do and like but like I feel like that quote could apply to like 75% of the episodes that Adama appears in you know what I mean like I don't think there's anything particular about that to to now um, I mean, I think right. there's, I, I think it does apply to like the whole, like, sometimes there's just some things you got to do, like, okay, like maybe a bit heavy handed of like, you know, he, he decided not to go after Hera and now he's going to have go after Hera and like, mm-hmm. you can draw that sort of like, okay, this is just something you got to do, even if it's kind of pointless and hopeless, but like. That was also true back when he announced, we're going to find Earth. And, like, you know, everyone clapped and so say we all. And, like, you know what right. I mean? Like, there's, like, I don't, I feel like that's just part of his character. And maybe that's just the point of, like, yep, mm-hmm. he's been this way all along. And he may not like it, but, like, he does the thing that's necessary. And so maybe that's, like, maybe that's the only takeaway. And maybe that's why his piece doesn't need to be longer. Um, right and well and and i mean this is more talking maybe i should save this for when we talk about his actual like plan and decision to go after Hera. but i think that is maybe the connection between looking for earth and looking for Hera is maybe it is the fact that it's a lie and a fiction that like you you do the thing that you need to do to keep everyone going even when you don't believe in it that like even like you think it's hopeless, but you tell them it's not yeah. to motivate them anyway. Um, so, I mean, so just basically, in terms of... basically, Adama's character arc in the entire series, according to what you're saying, is fake it till you make it. Yes, sure. <laughs> well, and then like eventually they discover like there is no Earth, and then right, then you you know you there wander no aimlessly spoon. for a while, and you know. But like, okay, what's gonna motivate them? Another fiction, another hopeless mission to keep them yeah. going and keep the and, and he replaces one, you know, kind of seemingly hopeless quest with another. Um, it's MacGuffins all the way down. It is. Um, yeah. Well, like the Billadama doesn't know where Earth is. Like that's been like there from the beginning of like he. He's supposed to be the the parent. He's supposed to know what's going on, and he doesn't. But he 
acts like he does and they kind of buy into it. Um, and I don't know, like, I guess just in terms of reflections coming full circle, it's like, all right, well, we're seeing the moment where he's being, you know, or he, he was supposed to have retired and then coming back around to like, okay, finally that has to happen eventually. Like you can't, you know, delay that even in the face of the, the apocalypse eventually will come the day where the ship has to be put to rest and he has to stop being the admiral. So I guess like calling back to that moment at the end, like this is the last hurrah. This is his big like retirement send off, I guess. Sure. Bit of a foo-foo-ra. <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's talk about Baltar then. Yeah. Because like, I guess if there's a connection there, for me, it's the whole like, have you ever done anything that's like purely selfless? Mm. And I think what we're being called, what, what we're being asked to answer maybe is a way to put it is the question of whether like how he's treating his dad, is that selfless or not? Cause mm -hmm. like, it seems like, like hearing like what his dad's saying, right. About like, Oh, he doesn't care for me and look at his accent and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And like, we've even kind of heard Baltar himself despise his own, the own, his own accent as he mm -hmm. was born with it and his upbringing and stuff. So I, I think in one sense we're meant to kind of sympathize with the father and kind of whatever. But in the same token, it's like, yes, Baltar complains about the money and whatever, but like, he's not exactly like throwing his dad to the wolves. Like, mm -hmm. he's paying for nurses and like putting him up in a pretty nice place to live. And like, mm -hmm. you know, there's kind of a lot going on. And like, especially when like Baltar is the kind of person who doesn't really put up with more uh, hardship than he absolutely needs to, mm -hmm. right? Like, he's not the Adama. Sometimes there are things you just got to do. But it seems like in this instance, maybe he is. And, like, mm -hmm. it interrupts his, you know, evening out with Caprica 6 and, you know, or whatever, afternoon out or mm -hmm you know, whatever they're doing, but like, I don't know. That's also not something that seems like something Baltar is like used to doing of like interrupting his time with a beautiful woman to like mm -hmm. go take care of someone else. So, you know, I mean, we can talk about whether it's like purely selfish or selfless in the way that Lee sort of describes of like mm -hmm. not having any, you know, even small, you know, benefit to Gaius. But, like, yeah. I, I think that's at least, like, what they're getting you to try to ask. Is, like, is this is this maybe a thing, mm -hmm. you know, that could be considered in that category? Or not? Or, like, maybe there's different answers to that, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I kind of... That sounds right to me. Um... And who's the kid? 
Yeah. Right? Is it a head kid? Is it a head kid? Um, I don't know who the kid is. Some random kid. Um, <laughs> to me, to me, the kid, I, there might be another flashback with him like later in it. I can't remember. I feel like there's a little bit more. But I don't remember details, like if we ever find out specifically who he is. But to me, the kid is like part of this series of characters of hero worshippers of Baltar. Like followers to who he pontificates his wisdom. Like I think kind of starting with Gaeta in the first couple seasons and then once that isn't, you know, like once Gaeta's over it, moving more into the 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 harem. Like the, you know, these, you know, these these followers who he simultaneously despises and feels responsible for. You know, like like he says to the six that, you know, when he um is on the base ship like you know i can't remember the line it's like outwardly i i humor them inwardly i despise them right but but i and and yet as much as i hate them for fawning all over me yet i feel like i owe them my protection or whatever because they look up to me and i feel like to me the kid is like maybe a, a like a for it's not foreshadowing because it comes later but like a retroactive foreshadowing of that of like a retcon of that into Baltar's backstory of like he always attracts you know like he's this charismatic personality that attracts you know these sort of hero worshippers and maybe part of the question of his the selflessness of him is how does he treat these people who look up to him and we've seen that he very much like abuses those relationships and i think maybe the question of with the followers with these you know this new movement that he has is is he recognizing that that these are people he consistently fails and doesn't reciprocate you know respect or attention to or whatever is that going to continue or is he finally going to learn how to do right by them and yeah. or not um so like maybe i think i like i kind of like that for baltar like you're getting two scenarios one with the father and one with this kind of teenage you know fanboy and these are the two like ways in which he either failed or had opportunities or succeeded or whatever to have like genuine reciprocal relationships where he gave to them as well as you know received something and the question of will that continue into the future is he capable of doing that with his followers now like on contemporary on galactica um So I think I, I kind of think I've, at least for me, I've talked myself into kind of liking the way that those flashbacks speak to where his character is 
on the Galactica part of things. Um, um, do you know off the top of your head if the whole Calvin thing was like, is that part of the extended? Because I on it, I mean, I think that's extended. Is it? I okay. I think he's not in the broadcast version. Like his scenes are just like cut entirely. And I mean, I never trust my memory with that kind of stuff. Um, but I I totally didn't remember that part at all. Um, yeah. Not that there's, like I said, I don't trust my memory, and there's plenty of other stuff that I haven't remembered from my first watch. But I feel like mm-hmm. that this like new random kid out of nowhere mm-hmm. like yeah seems seems odd for sure yeah i'm pretty um, sure that he is like purely an extended cut thing uh the also i was going to suggest this as a episode title was mo money mo fame um but <laughs> mo money know. mo problems yeah uh yeah from his little sort of yeah you know the more you want the more you need the more right. you need the more you want right the the emptiness of his lifestyle yeah. which he simultaneously recognizes and yet seems kind of proud of like sure to I'd what rather... extent is he saying that this he's he, on the one hand he's advising Calvin like don't live this way but on the other hand he clearly indulges this way of living so yeah. how much is he really saying that it's a bad way to live you know sure like I mean, for yourself and not for other people for just the the indulgence of your own pleasure you know just because there's never enough doesn't mean i'm not going to get as much as i can <laughs> kind of idea right like well and that's kind of i think what he's kind of saying is right letting you know there's never enough but i'm not saying you shouldn't try to pursue that or yeah um and then i mean just in the context of like the whole theme throughout the series um you know calvin asks so if you could do your life over what would you change and is that you know idea of it's all happened before Mm. it'll all happen again like is it even possible to change like you know if you had if you had the same choices like, could you even make a different one or not? Mm-hmm. And, you know, combining that with the later conversation with, like, Lee and stuff, uh, you know, like, is he even capable of doing a purely selfless act? Or is right. he just sort of doomed to always choose the thing that, like, mm-hmm. you know, puts him in a better spot? Mm-hmm. Um We've already talked for a half hour about the flashbacks. So. Yeah. I uh, Just to finish out Baltimore stuff, like, and Cabrica 6, like, anything about her in particular, I don't, I don't know that I had much to say. Um, I her. mean, it's more just, like, it's it's the kind of stuff that's hard to talk about, like, your impression of what she's thinking based on the way the actor performs it, that kind of thing is like hard to like nail down. I think I, I'm always just interested in like her, I guess just like how closely she's watching the situation. And like, I guess early Caprica six taking in just 
the experience of humanity, you know, mm-hmm. which I, on the one hand, I want to say is a little bit of like a retcon. Like, is she more sensitive and human here than she should be? But on the other hand, like, I think we saw hints of that back in the miniseries of like, um, well, you know, being fascinated by the the baby and, you know, like, but then she also snaps its neck. But also snapping its neck. So that's the kind of tension of like, how much is she moved here by what goes on between Baltar and his father? Like, how much is she like, you know, either to feel sympathy for Baltar or to, you know, condemn him for the way he treats his dad? Like, yeah, that's where I, uh, th- that's always kind of what I find myself watching her for is trying to get a read on like, what is her opinion of what's going on in front of her, I guess. Sure. Um, Rosalind. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably my least favorite flashbacks. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not sure I can quite nail it down as to why. I mean, I so well. I I guess I would ask like, is there? Do you see any connections here with kind of her stuff in the episode? Because I think even as we were talking through the other ones, like, like I feel like there's a pretty decent one, but this, but but her like like the whole like shower and then like later finding out like her basically her whole family dies mm-hmm. um like that sucks obviously but then like mm-hmm. like we also don't know like how long before right the um miniseries this is because mm-hmm. then like she in the miniseries like she learns she has cancer right before the attacks yeah so like is this just like to show like a cascading like series of unfortunate events like for her and like sure i'm but i guess i'm not clear like i mean other than the cancer's back and stuff but they don't even bring up the cancer so like Mm -hmm. i guess i'm not real clear like what the connection is with her now and all of that yeah i mean other than just death as a theme (laughs) Like, I don't know that it's more specific than that in terms of, or at least that I can see in terms of, like, plot stuff. I think maybe it's more, maybe it is more that just, uh, like, cumulative effect of loss. Um, I don't know. And, like, I... I don't necessarily think that these are flashbacks in the sense of like the characters are literally thinking of these moments exactly when we see it, but maybe there is a sense of like in your final, in your last moments, do you think about the people who've like gone before you? Like, you know, think about the family that you've lost and, you know, and, and just, I mean, we know that her mother died of cancer, but then finding out like, she didn't have any family left basically right. um when the when the colonies were attacked that just maybe gives 
not that it needs more tragedy, but I guess adds to, you know, the tragedy of her situation and the character and everything. Um, and I don't know if that makes the end for her better or worse, like to reflect on the family she's lost or to think of the family she might be reunited with, you know, that like mm. maybe in your last moments, it's your, your, your parents and your sisters that she's, that she's thinking of. And I, I'm kind of coming up with that on the spot. I don't know that I ever really thought of that while I was watching it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is hard to, it's hard to like really get too upset about characters we've never like met before. Right. Yeah. So I think that's part of the difficulty of it. Um, and like, I, I'm just not clear like what that does for her. Like, okay, so does that mean she handles like the destruction of the colonies better than other people who had family that died that in that mm. like attack or I don't know. Like, I don't think I could, like, we certainly don't get that sense at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, back watching the miniseries and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. there's no sense of, like, oh, well, all my family already died, you know, months or years ago. So, like, I'm good. I'm cool. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that never crossed my mind when we were, right. like, starting this whole journey yeah. into BSG. So, yeah, I'm just not sure, like, how to reinterpret all of that, I guess. Um and the other thing, so actually just to respond real quick to a comment you made more generally, I I didn't get the sense either that it was like these people were thinking about these particular moments or anything. It was right. more like it's just more like a general flashback about the character that mm-hmm. seems to, in a lot of cases, have some kind of resonance with mm-hmm. what happens to that character in this episode, but not necessarily like... Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think, like, Starbucks thinking about, oh, remember that one time when Lee came over to dinner and, right. like, I met him and, right, right. you know, whatever. Like, that doesn't seem at all the case to me. Right, right. Um, speaking of which. Although I think it is significant that, like, to move on to Kara and Lee, it's it's not a flashback to her relationship with Zach, per se. Zach appears, but it's more when Kara met Lee. Which I think sure. is a, diff- it's a that's a shift because like early yeah. on in like when the show started, Lee was very much li- or not Lee Zach was like the ghostly presence between them. Like like the stronger relationships, like Kara and Lee knew each other, but it was more about like Lee and Zach's relationship to their dad, or it was more about Kara's relationship to Zach and that being between them. But like sure. four years later, Zach is a kind of footnote to the moment that Kara and Lee met each other in a way, you know, which I, again, I don't never occurred to me while I was watching it. So I don't know what that says about the episode, but at least in thinking about it, I think that's a significant like change of emphasis. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes that makes sense. Um, yeah, and there's, I mean, so there's little, <laughs> to, to use your, your phrase, uh, retroactive flashback. Uh, there's like... Retroactive foreshadowing. Or retroactive foreshadowing, sorry. Yeah, I screwed it up. 
Um, retroactive foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, there's like all the like little things like about the playing cards and like, hmm. you know, um, you know the you, you know Lee stealing Zach's earlier girlfriend or girlfriends and mm-hmm. you know not that he necessarily steals Kara but like you know symbolizing their more physical right. relationship later and you know that kind of thing but mm-hmm. um or alluding to I should say uh yeah I mean I don't uh, they're still kind of back and forth obviously and you know whatever mm-hmm. um it is what it is. I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get to like Boomer and Tyrrell and Hilo. Mm-hmm. Um, which is basically just like when Tyrrell and Boomer start hooking up and mm-hmm. like Hilo's jealous, basically. Right. Yep. Um, which then, yeah, like you have that brief conversation between Tyrrell and Hilo now mm-hmm. of like, you know, Tyrrell being like, oh, they're all the same, and Hilo being like, no, they're not, they're different, they're distinct individuals, and mm-hmm. who just happen to have the same exact memories, um, and look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like, a question I always have with Tyrrell is, like, how much do we believe what he's saying? Like, mm-hmm. like how yeah. much does he, like, actually think you know, agree with the words that are coming out of his own mouth. Because um, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like throughout the series, there's a number of examples of Tyrrell maybe not being wholly honest with himself or others. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whereas Helo's maybe a little too too much the opposite way. I you know I like haven't honest, really thought honest to a fault. Yeah, I haven't really thought about this way, but they are kind of foils to each other. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, right, and and it's like Tyrrell is is embracing this like their pure machines philosophy in the same way that Boomer did as a self preservation technique after getting hurt. Hmm. Like, like when you were found yourself like taken in and taken advantage of by people your your self-defense is to say well they were never really people they were machines to begin with and i was an idiot to ever love them or trust them in the first place so i think the cynicism of tyrrell is very similar to boomers there um yep because it's like okay you're an idiot who can't learn not to trust machines, but he's a machine too. So what does that say about him? You sure. know, like there's he, more, there's special... more to unpack there, but he, he doesn't really go into. Yeah. Right. But he's a unique machine. Right. The other. Right. Are... She's just, she's a clone. She's a copy of a model that he designed. Yeah. Um, All right, so we talked way longer about the flashback. But I feel like we also talked about some of the current stuff, too, so maybe we can go through yeah, kind of quickly. Because really, after the, other than the flashbacks, which don't necessarily even take that long in the episode, 
you know, time-wise. But, like, the rest of it is just kind of, like, just plot, like, moving stuff around, right? Like, Adama and Sam, and, uh, sorry, not Sam, Adama and uh, Kara go and question Sam, and they get sort of the usual hybrid gibberish. Mm. Um, but basically figure out that there's, like, long story short, a way to, like, maybe get Hera back and and find her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, well, you know, other way around. Find her and get her back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they, you know, uh, kind of come up with this plan. And send out um, racetrack and whoever who's she with skulls okay right and uh you know kind of find where the colony is and um of course it's like in the most impossible place in the universe right like mm-hmm. just stable right between like the tidal forces of like a black hole and like you know whatever blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. um that's fine that's all fine we've been there before i mean not there literally <laughs> but like we've been to like the most impossible place yes ever in the universe um it's the and finale. not and not just in bsg like in yeah. other shows too yeah this is basically um, the impossible planet yeah right exactly um yeah so right well and can i just note in terms of like closing loops on character moments and stuff. I, I kind of enjoy the little self-referential racetrack conversation about, oh, you need someone to go, like, find something impossible and then almost get shot at it. Like, send me. Like, send racetrack and skulls. That's what we right, do. Like, right. I kind of um, enjoy that little moment. Um, right. So, I And, mean, of course, she's, like, instantly screaming and getting shot at as... As per usual. Yeah, of course. Uh, as per usual. And, right, so they uh, they go do it. They, you know, they figure out, like, they, and, uh, you know, you uh, catastrophe of you catastrophes. There mm-hmm. just happens to be not one, but two base stars that jump in and out in the exact right spot while they're, you know, yeah. there. Um, I, You know, I mean, I was trying to think, so... Like it talk, they talk about like the black holes already like sucking us in, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like okay, but you can't escape from that. But then it's like, well, technically, if you have faster than light travel, because like light can't escape from a black hole, which is why they call it a black hole. But like, if you can travel faster than light, like mm-hmm. maybe you can escape from the accretion disk of a black hole. <laughs> so, so like the jump drive technology is what. Is like what allows you to like allows that yeah theory. yeah yeah um, I don't sure. I don't know that like I would I wouldn't put money on the fact that like the writers thought through that aspect of it like that sure. in depth but I was thinking about it. I'm like well technically it's faster than light so maybe maybe it is possible to get out of a black hole if that is what FTL stands for that's what so. I'm saying that if you have faster than light travel yeah. So. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're what? So so you know a lot of like that kind of stuff that I don't think we need to get into. Um, there's also like the whole preparing to abandon ship, and you get like Lee looking over the request for you know parts and like mm-hmm. there there's like the dual like all these ship captains are vultures you know versus like well you know if we're gonna abandon ship anyway we might as well like take all the stuff that we can use mm-hmm. and give it to people but then like i mean not that i blame them but all the ship captains are maybe asking for a little more than they actually need mm-hmm. um at the same token it's like like lee just sort of like universally makes that declaration like they're padding the numbers when it's like well it's not like as a fleet anyone's ever been low on resources before like you can totally understand why they're padding the numbers like yeah well it's not like the survival of the human race isn't on the line here like maybe they want the best chance that they can possibly get of getting to a planet and there's even like Maybe maybe there's no more like you know, uh, nationalism as far as like you know people from Picon versus you know people from Cap Caprica or whatever. But like maybe there's sort of a tribalism by ship at this point, and they even mm. have organized the quorum like to that effect, right? Of like yeah. that was Lee's whole idea of is like you know representation by ship rather than by mm-hmm. you know colonial planet and that kind of thing and so so you could sort of understand each ship wanting to make sure it survives even if it's kind of at the cost of some of the others and not and that's not even to say that like they want the others to die because like i think intellectually everyone sort of knows that like we're stronger together but like Mm -hmm. if it's a matter of like send that critical part that will repair the hull to my ship versus some other ship yeah. Like I think fight for that. I, like yeah. who isn't going to want that, right? Yeah. That's just human nature, I think. Yeah. Not saying yeah. it's right or that Lee's wrong to say what he says, but I also feel like he's a little more critical maybe of them hmm. than is completely necessary in that moment. Right, right. Um right. And and Baltar kind of mocks his like Lee Adama's altruism test. Like Lee is definitely the, you know, being quite idealistic in that moment of what's realistic in terms of people who are fighting for their very survival. Right. Yeah, so then, of course, with Baltar, you have uh, him and Paula and, like, the rest of the harem, like, making their own preparations and kind of trying to figure out where they are. Now, what's interesting so, like, the whole conversation between Lee and Baltar about giving representation to Baltar's people is kind of interesting to me. Because, like, if Lee really was, like, setting up a representation by ship, mm-hmm. why aren't they included anyway? Like, wouldn't there be, like, a representative from the Galactica, I guess? But maybe... Maybe the concern is that, like, that's more of a military representative than a civilian sure. representative or something. So, right, right. Like, they don't get into that aspect. I feel like that's kind of an important piece of it. Hmm. Um, 
of like right. is it is it purely by ship or are there other things enfolded into that like right. are there certain classes of people who are being even if you have a ship's representative is that by its nature not representing the makeup of the people on board the ship would be well, a question and, like and like the way baltar phrases it is a representative for my people right not which you sort of maybe assume are the people who are, who have been board you know on board the galactica like you know as refugees this whole time right. but then like we see other refugees and like Dogsville, mm -hmm. who aren't Baltar's people. Right. And I think and we're getting a sense that he has followers on other ships. That was the other point. Yeah. Like, like that his people aren't kind of, so like, like, yeah, I, like I can see Lee, why Lee would resist that of like, mm -hmm. like, why do Baltar, like, are, are we, do we now have to like, is this like the beginnings of a party system or like, mm -hmm a new party system that that is going on like presumably they have parties already but like political parties i mean um yeah. well, you know is this like a new political party basically you know yeah. happening and then but like why should like a political party have a representative if that's the case for mm. you know versus if everyone else is like getting a vote based on where they live i.e what ship mm -hmm. they live on then mm -hmm. To me, that just seems like like that should be the answer. It's like you already have a representative. It's the representative right. from the Galactica, and if right, like it's your and if you or whatever. if you yeah. go to you know Galactica's going to be abandoned, so it'll be whatever ship you happen to be on that'll be your representative. Right. Like that seems the very clear and straightforward answer that Lee should give. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. It's like, Shaw, I'm not giving you representative. And it's... Which, again, seems like kind of uncharacteristic of Lee. Mm. To me. I don't know. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, and as with other things, with the, with the kind of political stuff, it's not that well defined, I think. Um, I think that's a consistent um, issue with the politics sure. on the show. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, because it makes me wonder, like, are there other classes of people who have representation apart from um a pure division by ship and is that why baltar is agitating is because he sees that his people are being denied something that other people have yeah um or yeah i mean and the only other thing too although i don't think this necessarily contradicts lee is baltar quotes zarek again with you know a, a new life requires new thinking like i think lee has used that quote himself like that was his whole idea of why do we use colony representatives anymore why don't we move to like 
you know, a ship-based system. Yep. You know, like, I think he even, like, referenced that quote. So, <laughs> uh, in some ways, I think Baltar is appealing to arguments Lee has even made. Right. But because the of who they're coming from, it... And that's Baltar's argument, is you're biased against me because I'm not... Which is strangely resonant with like our current political situation of to what extent <laughs> sure do you blame and i'm this is an open-ended question i'm not suggesting an answer but to what extent does the moral character of the leader of a movement matter to the values of the movement itself right like to what extent do you blame the the followers of somebody for, you know, that who they might follow for idealistic reasons or whatever their reasons are. If that person is shown to be immoral, um, what do you do with that? Yep. And how much can or should that infect the, the values that they're supposedly standing for? Um, so and it, I, I think mean, that's a good question <laughs> that we're it is in the middle question. of debating right now. <laughs> and I think it just, I mean, I think there's a valid point to what Baltar is saying because many times it is just, it just depends on the, on what side of the line you're standing on. Sure. And not always. And I think there are, you know, there are definitely uh, examples of, you know, people sort of rising above that and and calling for maybe someone of your their own party or uh, group, yeah. you know, to resign or to like, you know, take back what they said or like that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it it high greater than ninety five percent of the time, I would bet it's or you know maybe even ninety nine percent of the time it's. It's not. It's it's along party or or tribal mm -hmm. lines. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. All right. Um, wanted to talk about that before we get to like the whole volunteer thing, because then you get like you know the very dramatic line down the middle of the deck. Mm -hmm. uh, no pressure. Right. Yeah, and like right, so you get like the Thai and Hoshi conversation, right? Of like mm -hmm. you don't have to decide now, you got four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you have until we finish our walk to decide. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know there's like the implied threat of like and you better decide the right way. Sure. You know, with Thai, that's always sort of the right, right. expectation. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, yeah, it, yeah, I mean, and so you get you get sort of that question of who's going to cross the line and who isn't, and right. um, well, you know, you, you you get like Coddle like trying to do it, and and I know. you know, Adama's like, well, thanks, but no thanks. We we can't risk having yeah. a doctor, you know, losing a doctor. Yeah, that's like the sweetest one, though. I think. Is like coddles ready to sure you know 
is ready to go all in and everything. And, and the fact that he's sort of like, yes, he's sent back because they need a doctor, but you also get a sense of like coddle. It's like, this is also part of his years of good service too, of like, mm. thank you for your sacrifice. You don't need to do this. You know, like you're good. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, and we can use you too. So we have that excuse as well to say, thank you, Sherman, get back over the line, you know? And that's like a nice refusal, I think. Like, I don't know. It's a nice kind of moment for Cobble. Sure. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, there are a number of people who cross the line. Though. I mean, I like, I don't, I don't know that we need to go down each one, but mm -hmm. You know, you have um, you have Roslyn, and you have uh, I. I mean, you know, all all the all the major people, of course, yes. are like all the main characters. All, are all the ones, all the all the ones we want to cross the line. Yeah, all the ones know. we want to see. Although, like, do it. Tori's sort of, you know, not dragged, but like she sure. goes to be with the crowd, right? Like. Some more, whereas like you, Caprica Six is like, she's going. And like, right. there's that very deliberate, like, she's by herself. It doesn't matter if anybody goes, she's going. And she's the first Cylon, really, to, or non final five Cylon to, you right. know, be there for the child. Like, she's there for Hera. Um, whereas like, Tori, and even Tyrrell, I think you get more of a sense of obligation of like, mm. this is the right thing to do, or I'm being kind of pushed into it, even though I might rather not. Yeah. Uh. Uh, well, and that, I mean, and that's sort of foreshadowed by Ellen, right? Of like, mm -hmm. you're going to go. Like, yeah. you'll you'll feel the pressure to do it and you'll do it. Yeah. Um, well, and so, yeah, go ahead. So the, the Baltar non-crossing, right. <laughs> the very pointed toying with it, like you see him all shuffling back and forth on the balls of his feet. Like, is he going to go or not? And I think it's kind of an interesting question because on the one hand, you want him to go to prove Lee wrong, right? Like do the purely selfless thing of... Like, yes, it might make you feel good, but really, like, you're probably going to get killed. Like, I think we could call that a genuinely selfless act if he goes. On the other hand, like, Adama's whole point of this is it is pointless. Don't do this out of sentiment or false emotion. You know, like, only go if it really matters to you personally. And so it's like, in a way, for Baltar to go might, like, be in violation of that. Now, maybe that's what makes it selfless. So maybe that's why we root for it. But I think that's the, beyond just his own fear, that's the ambiguity there. And, of, of course, it ends with him, like, not crossing the line. <laughs> like, as much as he toys with it, there's that letdown of, yeah, oh, he doesn't go. He well, can't bring himself to do it. And I guess, and maybe this is a little more cynical view of it, but like, there's there's also a question of like, because I'm not so sure like, 
there isn't an explanation in, in which Baltar crosses a line and it's still kind of selfish. Sure. Because it's the, like, spiteful to prove Lee wrong. To show how heroic I am. Right. Yeah. Right. So... But yeah, like I think I think the fear that like if he does that he'll actually die gets Keeps the, him, the final yeah. word on yeah. that one. And yeah. so it's the more clearly selfish, <laughs> you know, decision rather than mm-hmm. this potentially selfish but maybe slightly less so mm-hmm. decision. Um Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh we are over an hour. So just real quick, though, want to talk through kind of Cavill's spaceship stuff with like Boomer and, and Hera and, of course, Cavill and the rest. Um, yeah. So the one thing that I kind of pointed out um, was that like it's kind of funny to see how how much worry there is over Cavill's treatment of Hera from everyone in the you know colonial fleet because like they're all like she's probably already dead and dissected and like mm-hmm. even if we make it there without dying like our chances of actually recovering like a living you know healthy Hera are like almost nil mm-hmm. whereas like meanwhile on the base ship you get like they're worried about keeping her alive long enough to even like begin like studying her yeah like like they're just trying to get her to eat so she doesn't starve to death yeah um so it's just kind of like i I don't know i find that juxtaposition kind of funny um Mm -hmm. just because it it does sort of point out like that whole idea of like like i was saying like you know when my daughter is out at a friend's house and like maybe she's not home like right away and like by like five minutes late, my mind's immediately like, oh my God, she's lying dead in a ditch, freezing to death somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, she's not freezing to death, she's already dead. But you know what I mean? Like like that totally irrational, like the worst possible thing that could happen has happened already and yeah. all of that. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah. Um, and not that like, not that like we need to like believe that Cavill is nicer than he actually is in order to like see that. Mm-hmm. It's just like Cavill's a smart dude. Like, all right, so he didn't go right to the dissection immediately. He wants mm-hmm. to like see how she acts and whatever. And and they have her doing like the uh you know, the crayon therapy thing, right? Like <laughs> her art therapy. You don't have yeah. to talk to me, but maybe just draw a picture of whatever yeah. you want, you know, yeah. and and that becomes like the way that they're and, yeah. and his assessment is just like lots and lots of dots. Like Yes. Oh, she's very gifted. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Which we know kind of at this point what that means because we saw the stuff with Starbuck and everything. But yeah. You know, obviously right. they're they're not in on the revelation. Right. He well, and that's I guess the irony of it is in his eagerness to dissect her brain, he's not He's overlooking the thing that he's looking for, which is like the key to her, her specialness, her purpose, what sets her apart, you know, like he's ignoring the, the messages of her, 
of her little childish art doodles, you know, as the thing that's not important to get to like the dissection of her genetic code and everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I hadn't really thought of that while watching it, but it is a funny contrast. And I don't know if I would say like Cavill's nicer than, than they're making him out to be, but like, I think it, it does speak to this, even on the part of other Cylons, this underestimation of the humanity of the Cylons of like, they expect them to act like they still expect them to act like pure emotionless machines who just have no purpose other than to dissect Hera the instant they get her. But it's like, no, there's, there is hung up by things, you know, by things like, is she eating properly? Is is like is it the right timing? And you yeah. know, having disagreements amongst themselves about the best way to go about this. Like again, sure. they're more they're more similar than anybody is giving them credit for. And so of course it's delayed because why wouldn't it be? Um and yeah, even even Ellen and Athena and other Cylons underestimate that aspect of the Cylons, I think. Sure. Um, of course, he does order her to be dissected. Or and that's why I'm saying, <laughs> I don't know that it's that he's nicer than they think. He's just more human or more petty or more distractible or whatever it is. Like, right. I don't think it's out of kindness. Um but he's not the pure rational machine that they make him out to be. Sure. All right. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're ready. You know, Adama's all like, all right, let's do this thing and mm -hmm. ready to go. And that's where we, that's where we end. So, yeah. We'll uh, we'll pick up there next week. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, we've got some angel to talk about. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Wanted to start with the title, which I screwed up in our intro. Um. For the. <laughs> it's probably because we were like talking about it right before that, and so it, it's like. Well, and there was a typo in my transcript, which threw me off for a second. So I think I got distracted for a second. Um. But. Calvary and cavalry are two notorious words that are very easy to get mixed up. Sure. Um, and so I, I think that actually is a, a fortuitous little mistake in that it points to the title because cavalry is referenced in the episode. Yes. Yeah. By Lila. She, you know, which is a nice connection between these two episodes of, of this idea of like, the deus ex machina and everything like is there a higher power that's going to come and rescue you and and lila basically gives her you know vision of the universe of um of she says like i i don't know if i wrote down the exact line but um something about like there is no such thing as divine intervention and right. um she says nobody's coming to save us not angel not the powers that be and not the 40 damn second cavalry. So if anybody has scales on her eyes, it's you. And then we cut to Cordy with her scaled over white eyes. So this idea of the 
powers that be and, and a benevolent higher power who's looking out for you. Um, that's not what the title is, though. The title is Calvary, <laughs> which, you know, is referencing the crucifixion. And, you know, uh, I, I guess more obliquely referencing this idea of, of the sacrifice, um, which is a form of deus ex machina. You know, like it is the ca the cavalry coming in. It's, you know, cavalry is a sign of God's intervention in human history of when things are going to crap. He, you know, he breaks in that there's a, a you know, a movement from the power that is, you know, to change the fate of the world. and. Mm -hmm provide an opening for rescue. So even though they're not the same thing, and it annoys me when people get those words mixed up, um, there's, they're not completely separate ideas either. Um, there's like a resonance between the two, um, which I want to get, I mean, I want to get more into in the episode because I don't know that the the cavalry ever comes in this episode. That's part of the part of the the storytelling is like the twists are bad ones. You know that the this is not a you catastrophic episode. Yeah. Um, despite the idea of you know calling in the cavalry, and despite the title, which points to the ultimate calling in of the cavalry. That's not what happens in the episode. It looks like it's all discatastrophe mm. rather than new catastrophe from from right now, from what we can see by the end of the episode anyway. Sure. sure. I don't know. Um, Is there more? So, I, you know, and honestly, I don't know. I don't know how much the Calvary as a title makes sense here in this sure. episode um one one thing one possible explanation that i did see um is is the whole so calvary is at golgotha which mm -hmm. is the place of the skull and of course like there's the whole like they hunt down the soul eater demon and use its skull in mm. kind of the in the ritual that's supposed to reinsole Angel. Um, mm -hmm. I saw that as one possible explanation. That seems like a very convoluted explanation to me. Mm -hmm. um, like a, like a one or two steps removed from like the maybe clearer uh, mm -hmm. titles that we've gotten. But I also haven't seen any explanation that like is better than that either. So mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I for me, I prefer the more like both of those words to me evoke this idea of will there be a divine intervention of some kind? Is there some sort right. of grandmaster plan or or intervention by something higher to intercede on on behalf of yeah of whoever um, yeah heroes. And and then the non 
fruition of that in this episode is interesting to me, you know? Like, so we're name checking this idea in an episode that very much doesn't fulfill, you know, that promise. At least at this point, you know, I can't, obviously, you know where it's going. I don't Mm. just purely talking about what we see in the episode. Right. Um, So, yeah. I want to start with the two big twists because then I kind of want to go back and look at the details of the episode in light of them. Um, And since we've seen the episode, I think we can enjoy the spoiler version and kind of go back. Um, so I guess starting with, you know, twist number one, which is the fact that Angel never gets his soul back in this episode, that it's Angelus the whole time. Um, Mm. which the thing I like the most about it is the fact that it's so obvious and it distracts you from twist number two. Like... It's it's, sure. it's the it's the red herring that seems to be the big twist that kind of obscures your vision from what's coming, which before, I think is be, before kind of we, clever. Before yeah. we get to twist number two, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Like what? Like, no, and what, I want to talk what, about what, what exactly? First, yeah, like what exactly? Like let, yeah, like let's look at that a little more because like, is it? Is there something in the episode that like makes you think that, or is it more like just from a like analyzing, you know, what they're gonna do? Like, there's no mm-hmm. way that they're gonna bring Angelus back, but like keep him locked up in a cage the entire time, and then just like turn and him back into Angel. That's like, part of it. Of it's too quick. It's too easy. Yeah, you're waiting for that the whole time. Even in what was it like? two episodes ago when it was, you know, the one where he had his like dream quest vision. I was sure that that was going to be the twist of that episode of like, he's already lost the soul and he's pretending to be angel. So I'm anticipating that that's going to happen at some point. Like we're going to have Angelus pretending to be angel and in disguise, because I don't know why something Maybe it is just that, like, that narrative inevitability of, like, this is just a thing we have to do. If we're going to bring Angelus into the mix, you have to play around with who is he really at some point. Um, And so then that coupled with the ritual, which, you know seems a little easy and, and the fact that it works right away and they can't really tell if it's him. I, it just seemed like those are the things I think that were tipping me off. And, and I think part of it, like the way it's written and acted too, of overplaying it just a hair, you know, overplaying the, not that angel wouldn't be concerned in this situation and wouldn't be careful and hesitant, but it's just that little bit overdone, you know, of like going for the kind of contrite, humbled, oh, I'm dangerous, just leave me down here in the cage. Like, it's just a bit too much. Um, 
that had me kind of like, all right, I'm I'm waiting for the reveal here. Um, yeah. Which didn't even bother me at the time. Like it was kind of, you're kind of enjoying the like game of that, of like, when are they going to figure it out? Are they going to figure it out? When's he going to reveal? Um, how stupid can they get away with them being of like mm -hmm. falling for it? You know, like it's a little bit of like a tightrope act, I guess. I don't know. Do you remember watching it the, for the first time? Do you have a memory of oh, seeing that coming or? I mean, I, I don't honestly remember my first time watching this episode. Um, I mean, it's certainly a memorable episode. I remember Lila's death and being mm. surprised by that, which is this. I know I said, let's not jump to the next twist yet, but sure. Yes. Spoiler. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, but I don't remember, like, I don't think I would, I think for the same reasons, like, I wasn't, like, that surprised by Angelus, just because, like, it did seem too quick, it seemed too neat, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's always the question of, like, you know, at this point, I had already seen all of Buffy, all of Firefly, and, you know, most of Angel, right? Like, more than half of Angel. So, like, right. knowing the sort of Whedon-esque twist, like, I think yeah. there is always that back of the mind, like, trying to second-guess or out-guess, you know, Whedon and crew. Mm -hmm. um, which this episode was written by Jeffrey Bell, Mary Smith, and Stephen DeKnight. So... Mm you know, three solid players. Right, uh, like with, all mainstays with, of, yeah, yeah. With Bell being, you know, the showrunner at this point. So, you know, yeah. Like, I, I don't know where, what more to say about that, but I, I don't, I don't remember specifically, but I would find, I don't, I'm pretty sure, like, I wouldn't have been as surprised at finding out Angelus, um, except for the Lauren piece of it. Sure. And like, yes. I guess for me, and I know we talked, we were going to maybe talk about him a little bit different, but like. No, I think we can talk about that here because that is like the, that's the big thing that is more than anything. That's what is there to lead you away from the conclusion of like, oh, it's, it's obviously going to be Angelus. Like here's the one the one piece of hard evidence mm -hmm. that says it's Angel. Um, and so that's a question of, is there something in Angelus that, uh, that like, does he right. practice occlumency or something? Like, wow. <laughs> How yeah, can there's... he, like, somehow he has some ability to shield his soul or lack of soul or whatever his essence his aura is that Lauren can read he can he can uh disguise that I guess yeah well there, so there's three kind of potential explanations in my view so one is one is that that yeah like that angel is that good of an actor that he can like change his own aura you know to fool Lauren um, one is that Lorne is lying, right? Like, he could totally be lying. I, 
why he would do that or whatever, we don't know. Or that maybe he's like the third explanation would be that he's somehow being controlled or or otherwise manipulated as opposed to just merely being fooled by Angel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think there are any other like possible explanations than one of those three. You know, either fooled, yeah. fooled, lying, or manipulated somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, like I mean at this point I don't I guess I would throw it back to you to see it like is there anything that you kind of think about one of those options being more likely than the others, but like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know at this point that we have enough information, so maybe Yeah. No, maybe I don't you can't unless there's something that you I saw guess, that I I'm mean, forgetting. I, no, I don't think we get a whole lot of other clues about that. Um I mean, I think my gut instinct and to me the likeliest scenario is that Angel can fool him somehow or Angelus can fool him somehow. That there's something about the the either the nature of the vampire or Angel Angelus in particular that can that can trick mm-hmm. him. Um there, there that's kind of the Occam's razor explanation, I think. I think so. Like, yeah. But to play devil's advocate, um, we don't see Lauren for a period of time. He goes out to talk to his contacts. So it's possible that there's manipulation going on because he's been, he's being controlled by something we don't know about. Um, so that could happen. Um, he could be lying. I can't see why he would lie unless again, he's being controlled by something. Um, like made to lie because some, but then I guess that goes more under the he's being controlled mm. category. Yeah, Lauren would, in himself, I can't right. see any reason in his character why he would lie about Angelus. Um, sure, just of his own free will. Um, and then again, Cordy does some stuff in this episode that seems very much out of character. So, who's to say what's going on and? what people's motivations are. So yeah. maybe there's something going on with more of them than we realize. Is there, yeah. Maybe there's something in the water or maybe, you know, there's right. Maybe more of them compromised than on. we realize. So, um, uh, yeah, yes. my Occam's razor is that it's Angelus, but I'm open to some alternative explanations. Yeah. Uh, right. So, are you speaking of Cordy then? I guess maybe let's talk about the second twist. Yeah. Which so, I feel like I have... Speaking of things that Cordy doesn't normally do. Stabbing um, someone in the neck. Stabbing someone in the neck. And... Not that that's not bad. But, like, I, I realize that by the end... And it's not like I particularly like Lila. But I, I'm kind of catching myself going, like... Why is turning on Lila necessarily a bad thing? Isn't she one of the bad guys? Like, why are we, like, upset about that? And I think it's it's not just the the violence of it or, or the kind of ruthless sacrificing of somebody else. It's the fact that it's not really even that she's turning on Lila to save herself. It's this revelation that this is her plan. It, it's the hint of 
he's going to kill us. I know. Why do you think I let him out? Um, that hints at not just like, oh, Cordy is acting out of character. She's act, acting more ruthless than normal. It's, it, it, it implies that it's not Cordy, I guess. That's my guess. I, if I'm going to like put my chips down, mm -hmm. I'm now wondering if Cordy ever came back from her higher dimension. Like this is making me question the whole season so far of Cordy mm. of like, I don't have time to go back and rewatch the entire half season up until now. But if I did, I would almost want to go back and do that to then kind of see like, like not like Buffy, but in a sort of similar way, did she come back wrong? Like, we still don't really know what happened to her in that higher dimension and never really got much explanation about that. And the way she kind of like seems to be revealed as this manipulative, you know, baddie at the end makes me wonder how far back that goes and mm. what exactly that means. Um, you know, like there's reference to a bigger, badder something than the beast. Could that be Cordy, you know? Or is it something using Cordy's form, you know? Or is she being manipulated by something? I think these are all, you know, these are all my questions. Yeah. But again, I like the way that the angel twist kind of distracts you from the final twist that's coming at the end. Because there are things in there that you could start to question. Like, is she really stupid enough to let him out of the cage? Well, no, she's not. That's the point, is it's deliberate. <laughs> like, you know, and I, and I was kind of half thinking that as the episode's going on of like, do I buy that, you know, she's the one who knows better than anybody what Angelus is. And yes, she's Cordy and she's inspirational and she wants him to make the right choice and all this stuff. But isn't she the one who was telling everybody else how seriously they need to treat this? Mm. So to kind of then find out, well, it's not that she fell for anything but that this was a plan and he's doing exactly what apparently what she wanted him to do kind of makes her seem a little less naive or a lot less naive than she was earlier in the episode. Right. And I know yeah. it's hard for you to confirm or deny, so I'm not sure what you can feel free to, you know, Tell me if I'm way off track or anything. I mean, I guess just thinking about like, like if, yeah, if we, you know, 
there's a couple things in here, right? One, so like we learn about the beast, right? That like Angelus tell, tells us the beast is a minion. And then we see like a scene of the beast, like offering something, you know, to someone <laughs> mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, being very deferential and whatever to that person, creature, being, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think the question becomes, like, kind of similar to Lauren. Like, yeah, like, is, is, like, I mean, I don't think, kind of like you said with Lauren, like, it's hard to believe that he's, like, the same Lauren and just lying about it. Yeah. Like, it would be hard to see this as like the same Cordy we know and love and her just like fooling everyone, you know, for her own reasons. Like, like for kicks and giggles, like that makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, like just logically speaking, again, Occam's razor, like, you know, does it, what makes the most sense is that she's probably either, either she's being manipulated or like something else is using her form. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, one way or another, then I think you're right. Like, then you do have to start recontextualizing the entire season. So. Does that does, mean that she and Connor were never a thing? <laughs> that's that's where, what I was going to say. Like, does that, like. We retcon the Cordy Connor. Does is that this all because change? they realize they made a mistake and are trying to redo it? <laughs> you know. Or maybe it was the plan all along. Or maybe not giving it was, them enough yeah, like, it, it, who knows? Like, it wouldn't be the first time that, like, writers tried to correct something, uh, you know. Or was that a clue? Like, was that was a, it, like, yeah, the was first it like, hint, Cordy like a, would, a big hint of Cordy? Would Cordy really do this? Does Cordy this would really never sleep with Connor. That makes no sense. Right. And, oh, well, actually, oh, she didn't. yeah, maybe it wasn't her. Or maybe it right. wasn't her in control of her own body or something exactly like that. exactly so i won't confirm definitely but i'll just say those one of those two things seems like maybe the most logical explanations mm-hmm. and let you decide whether that's enough confirmation or not mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah so uh yeah i I mean i guess from there then yeah like like we could go back like let's not do it now we'll we'll have a season recap at some point (laughs) um you know but like i think it does merit like you know going back you know with this twist and whatever we'll learn about in the upcoming you know second half of the season really because this is we were we were talking about this is the twelfth episode, so this is really the beginning of the second half of the season, mm-hmm. um, like how things might change. And um, I guess the the question remains that like like if we're if we're assuming that this isn't Cordy, or at least it's not Cordy, kind of in control of her own body, does does that mean that whatever's manipulating or controlling her is the beasts? master hmm. the beast master 
Um, no, like, is it, is it, yeah, the, the, the thing to which the beast is a minion? Um, or is it, or is it just like, is that thing just also sort of controlling Cordy somehow? And then, you know, if so, what does that mean? Because, like, we've already seen, like, the beast and Angelus, like, not getting along. Mm-hmm. If if Cordy's letting out Angelus to, you know, kill everyone in the way that, like, she sort of says mm-hmm. at the end of the episode there, then is there something else going on here? Like, is there is there a, a struggle, you know, going on between, like, like, is it, is it something that's manipulating Cordy, but like to release Angel, but like also against the beast as well, I guess is trying kind of where I'm getting it. like, right. Like, is there, you know, knowing Angelus's antagonism for the beast, is there something else happening there with that? I, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to like, send you down one road or another necessarily. I'm just kind of trying to work through the different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like it could be the powers that be, um, which we think of as benevolent. I mean, they, if so, then it seems a bit unconcerned with like collateral damage. Um, more so than I think we would like the powers that be, but it could be something like that of like it's the opposing forces that are are using her to unleash angel against you know something worse um you know i don't know i mean the other thing though is that she's a good she's a great candidate for person to steal angel's soul since uh we know she knows where it is (laughs) so that seems like you know one likely scenario for that so like okay like is that just to hide it or if so if she took it what is she gonna do with it um yeah we don't like there's so there's there's definitely um not only does it end on a cliffhanger, but like it, it suggests all sorts of questions. I think to be thinking about, um, you know, and I could definitely see the reveal being that the beast is making its tribute to Cordy, you know, mm. but maybe not. Maybe she's a different agent entirely than whatever it is that the beast is a minion of. Like maybe she's against whatever they are you know like i don't it could really go either way so i can't get over my suspicion that it has something to do with the powers that be just because well i was gonna say we know that she ascended and became a higher power but do we even really know that like the whole question at the end of last season was like what the heck happened to her Mm. um which we never really got definitive answers on so again yeah i think i have to like stop myself from making assumptions about like what i think i know 
Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Right. Um. Anything else with the twists or, like the Angelus Cordy reveals? Like, is there any obvious thing that I'm missing? Of, you know, any any clues or hints that I need to be paying attention to, or not so much. I don't think so. I mean, no, no, I don't think so. I mean, so I, I'll just say it. Lila's dead. Like, okay. I'm not get like I won't tease out that. Like, yeah. she's stabbed in the freaking neck. It, yes, like she's seemed gone. pretty definitive. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, like we can talk through like her and uh, you know the rest of them because like there's there's the whole like potential like. Like, she kind of shows up unexpectedly here, just mm -hmm. even to begin with. Like, I don't think anyone's really expecting to see Lila again at this point. Not that, like, she's completely out of commission, but, like, mm -hmm. yeah, it just doesn't seem like... Yeah, I mean, I think you are in the long term. Like, oh, right. I, I mean, like, in this episode. Yes, particular. right. Like, like you're not expecting it, like, right then and there. It definitely seems like very much a, we're hunkered down, we're dealing with Angelus, and, like, the team that's there is there. I don't think anyone's expecting Lila to just kind of, like, show up and, yeah. you know, start messing around with Angelus and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on her, as we sure. know her story doesn't go very much further. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> at least at this point, um, as yeah. as is always oh, and, the and case. And she kind of dies you know, as she lived, like double crossing and being double crossed by others. Yeah. You know, like caught in the web of her own alliances. You know, right. which is sort of seems about right. Um, well, and I guess so. The question I would have, really, like from a character perspective, like okay, like we know that she's like trying to like team up with Angelus and like whatever. But this, that to me almost seems like she's on autopilot at that point. It's just like, mm -hmm. that's what she did at Wolfram and Hart. And so like, she's trying to like continue her lifestyle as best as she can. Right. Um, she wants the nice things again, mm -hmm. um, whatever that means. And so there's some sense there, though, that, like, by being there, like, that maybe she could be joining the team almost. Like, she's, even yeah. though she's, like, evil and has, you know, whatever, like, there is a sense of, like, who else does she know better and who, like, kind of works in the same industry as she does, so to speak. Right. Like. Right. And it does seem like that's where it's going to go. And. You know, I don't think Wesley's evil, but they it's the first time that it's not the first time that they've had alliances with people that they weren't fully comfortable with, you know, like it seems like Lila could get brought in as that kind of uh, alliance of necessity that then mm -hmm. leads to a a more permanent team membership in the long run, 
you know, like this could be the prelude to her joining the their team full time eventually. Um, except that that's not where it goes. But that's part of the red herring. Like, it seems like you're being set up for something like that of like, okay, as you're watching, you feel like you're being primed for Lila's going to get more involved with being on their side of working for them. Now, will they trust her? Does she really, you know, is she really loyal? Those are the kinds of questions that you would explore over the course of like the next season or two. But it seems like it's like that's the kind of setup for that kind of storyline, which is part of the fake out. Mm -hmm. um, I think it like it, it adds to the surprise of what happens to her in the end of, oh, all that setup goes nowhere. You know, she is, you know, you know surprised by, you know, Cordy's sort of sneak attack. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess like, as much as Lila herself, it also kind of marks the end of an era in the sense of like, she's literally the last person from Wolfram and Hart. Um, which she confirms like that it's, it's not just that he killed everyone who happened to be at the office that day. It's like he hunts down everybody, you know, like if you were working remotely, if you were traveling, if you were homesick, like he's wiped them out except for her. And that seems like if, if we believe her, that seems to be the end of Wolfram and Hart dies with her mm. um so what does that mean for like the powers oh, well not the powers least... of B, like the, the the higher you know the senior partners and all that like that has implications at least the la chapter because we know chapter. that wolfram and hart has like multi-dimensional yes presence <laughs> of the of the la chapter that we've grown to love right. or hate over the last right. couple of years yeah which, do they have other branches on Earth, or is L.A. the only one and everything else is, like, extra-dimensional? That's a good question. Right, like, maybe it's the Earth chapter, not the L.A. chapter. Sure. I don't think we have an answer to that yet. Okay. Um, so that's a question but that I, I, but I, I have, yeah. I, I don't think we should think of it as, like, the same way as, like, the Watcher's Council getting destroyed. Mm. Right, whereas, like, that's the only thing. And, like, there's other Watchers maybe around the world, but, like, yeah, there's not, like, another, like, yeah. home base. Well, and the senior partners are still out there, so... Presumably, yeah. Presumably. So they haven't... They might have taken out their minions, and maybe with the little girl, they, it, it cut off communication, potentially. But the, you know, the ultimate bosses are still presumably out there somewhere. Mm. Um, okay. Anything else about Lila or? No, no. I mean, I think, so there's I mean, the revelation, which isn't really about Lila. It's kind of more about Wesley, right? Like, that which I like forgot that nobody knew that. I think I'm so used sure. to, I'm so used to the two of them by this point that it hadn't occurred to me that um, Fred or the others didn't know 
that they were in a relationship. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that puts a little damper on things <laughs> between Fred and Wesley. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of. Not that things didn't have other issues. Sure. It's not like everything was going perfectly smoothly so, up until then anyway, but. Right. But, like, you do get a sense. I mean, you know, Wesley is always interruptus, right? Because, like, he's, like, just about to, like, like, he's, like, what? what's the line, like? this is the part where I should say I'm sorry and I'm really trying to like, yeah. and then like everyone else walks in, yeah. which kind of mirrors earlier when Gunn and uh, Fred are talking and Gunn's like, I wish you would stop looking other places instead mm -hmm. of at me. And then like Wesley walks in and she looks over at him. So like, like there is a sort of mirroring there, but like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Like, is this like Fred and Gunn have broken up and now like Wesley and Fred can get together? Or is it like that's just like a pipe dream that Wesley has? And like, I don't know. Do, do you have any thoughts around like? I don't know that it's a complete like futile pipe dream on Wesley's part. I mean, there's something there, but I don't know that it's as definitive a breakup as what Fred seems to imply and Wesley seems to believe in that moment. Like I worry that there's a, um, a kind of Ross and Rachel, we were on a break potential here of like, <laughs> all that happens is that Gunn kind of says, I can't do this anymore. And then they get interrupted. That's the end of the conversation. And then Fred reports to Wesley, we're not together anymore. And it's like, you want to might want to clarify that. <laughs> like, do you all agree on that? Is this like a mutual understanding we have? Because that seemed like there was maybe more conversation to be had and potential for a lot of messiness if everybody's opinions aren't clear on the subject. Um, so that's the kind of part that seems like worrisome to me um and like because of what gun says i think fred thinks that he broke up with her but then from angel's conversation it sounds like he's implying that oh fred broke up with him and fred or gun doesn't really contradict that so it's this thing of like does anybody really want to break up here or are you all just assuming that that's what's happening um right and and Wesley's not being shy about moving into that gap, like not at all. And like, like being we, a bit being we, a bit disingenuous about it, of like when she says like we're not together, and he says not because of me, and it's like well yeah, Wesley, because of you, well, like like not solely because of you, but it like, is and it isn't because like because I think it's important too that like Angelus brings up you know, the killing of Fred's yes. professor. And it's and so, not, it's not purely because of Wesley. Right. So I think, but, and, and like, I don't think like, you know, Fred sort of is prompted then to say, you know, to reply to that 
comment, uh, you know, well, it, it's been bad for a while. And that that's not wholly wrong. Now, I, yeah. I don't disagree that, like, maybe it's a little disingenuous that, like... Like, you, you did kiss her and you know that Gunn saw it. Right. So you should know that it's at least a but factor. Do you, do, you, do you think he's at least sincere when he says, like, he didn't intend for that? that to happen not not the kiss but like the result of like the whole fight and all of that afterwards um or do you think he do you think he was trying to be provocative and i think he's being a little provocative Yeah. yeah like was he trying to spoil for a fist fight maybe not but i think he knows what he's doing i think he knows Gunn's made it perfectly clear how he feels and knows how Wesley's feelings are. So Wesley, I don't think, has... I don't think he gets to say the excuse of I didn't realize, you know, or I didn't intend, or I didn't... It didn't mean to come across that way. Like, he and Gunn are pretty clear, I think, about where each of them stands. Um... So I think, no, if he's making moves, I think he knows that there will be consequences mm. to them. Um, and that he knows how Gunn's going to interpret it. And there's no other way to interpret it, you know. Um, now, I think he is also correct that Fred is really an important factor here. And... If she were to choose to be with Wesley, that would be a legitimate choice that she would make. So I'm not saying that, like, I don't think Wesley's stealing her in the sense that she's anybody's property. Right. But, sure. Like, I, so I don't think, not from that point of view, like, I think he kind of feels like, well, I'm just going to do my thing and it's up to Fred to decide what she wants. And... On the one hand, that's fair enough. On the other hand, I think he is being provocative. Um, and maybe he doesn't know the full extent of what all their problems are, but I think he has to know that he's part of their problem. Right. <laughs> you know, or at least he's representative of certain problems that they have. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you agree, disagree, want to abstain from, uh, well, I mean, just talking about what, what has happened without, you know, getting into what could, you know, what will happen or whatever. Or what's your interpretation of Wesley's Um, sort of motivation here? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we see in the last few episodes here, and we have seen in the last few episodes here, definitely a more decisive and clearly focused Wesley. Uh, Perhaps since he had his throat slit and was abandoned by all his friends, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Like, this is, like, he sort of meandered, he sort of, you know didn't know what he was doing and kind of went off and, and I mean, like he was like 
like yes he kind of had his own crew there or and we don't really know what happened to them at this point but like yeah you know and he was like having sex with lila and stuff but like you get the sense that that's all like wesley on a journey to find himself and like Mm -hmm. this is now wesley found and you know i do think that there's more of a he wants to state his interest and be clear and all Mm -hmm. of that whereas before it was more willing to be whatever now i don't i mean i don't know how i don't remember how much or know how much he knows about fred and gun's problems can he sense that they're having problems? I think you're right. Like he definitely seems to sense that like, even if he doesn't know the full extent of what they are, like he seems to sense that there are problems, mm-hmm. but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say like, he knows like about the professor and like all of that stuff. I I don't remember if he does or not. Um, Yeah, I so I don't I think I think a lot of what you said made sense. I guess that's a long way of saying that. <laughs> um Fair enough. And I yeah, I mean I won't I'll, I'll say this much. We're not going to see like Wesley and Fred in bed together in the next episode or anything. Like sure. like this yeah. isn't like jumping from one relationship to the next. I think yeah. On the whole like Wesley's kind of welcome back is still kind of temporary, right? Like mm-hmm. we're still in sort of like crisis mode, yeah. fight fight the apocalypse, you know, all hands on deck sort of thing. But yeah. like Wesley's long-term relationship in the group is still kind of up in the air and or you know, yeah. position in the group is up in the air. And especially if like Maybe it's not a huge surprise to think that, like, Angel will be reinsold at some point. Like, maybe we won't see Angelus through the entire rest of the series. Or maybe we will. I don't know. But, like, if... if You'll have to like, change the name of the show to Angelus. If, like, Angel were to come back and stuff, like, there's still the question of, like, yeah, would he, would, would he welcome Wesley back into the group? And and if he doesn't, like, if it is Angelus till the end, like, I certainly don't see, like, Gunn being willing to, like, be in a group with Wesley. And certainly not if Wesley's kind of taking charge, which he seems to kind of be. Well, that's like, my question is, as much as what's Wesley's long-term position in the group, what's Gunn's long-term position in the group? Right. Because if Wesley comes back either as the leader again or as the accepted, you know, returned prodigal friend accepted by Angel. What does that mean for Gunn? You know, like, Mm. can Gunn uh, stay and work with him? Would he be allowed to work with him if if Wesley's in charge? Mm. Um, Like, if Wesley starts calling the shots, or if it's just purely a matter of I can't even stand to be around him anymore what would that mean for gun um which like on the one hand like i i 
am invested in Wesley's sort of redemption arc. On the other hand, Gunn hasn't really done much wrong, so I don't want him to be, you know, penalized and forced out of the group as a consequence of Wesley's sort of re-establishment. Um, so that's a kind of sad thought that, like, he would either have to leave or be forced out, you know? Um, sure. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I know we went a few minutes over on the BSG discussion, but I, mm -hmm. like, I feel like we've talked a lot about kind of the other things that we already had. Like, any, yeah. anything Was specific? There, I mean, I kind of put... Angelus and Cordy at the end again, just to see if there's anything else that needs to be sort of recontextualized in light of the ending. But I think we did kind of skip around a little bit, which is fine. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything else with them that we didn't cover that is important to note? Um, I don't think so. I mean... I mean, there's a lot it, more talking and manipulation from Angelus. I think it's more of the kind of stuff we saw sure. in the previous and, episode. I don't know that there's anything hugely like new there. And there's questions of like, okay, you know, when Cordy and Lila are talking, like Cordy has a vision and is like, I know how to re-insole Angel. But right. then like, based on the twist, it's like, was that just fake? Like, is this just... Is this yeah. all just an act? Like, is literally everything Cordy has done an act or a manipulation of some kind? Right. Um, but right. I don't. And I don't know that question. it. Yeah. I don't know that it behooves us to like go through every example of like yeah. potential. Right. You know, manipulations there. Like, no, I, I, I think that's the question at the end. Is right. is everything we've seen and potentially and for the back. entire season? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, with that in mind, it's just like Angelus is loose, Lila's dead, the beast is on the prowl. Like, kind of stuff is going down here. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll get back to it after two weeks because mm. we've got a couple of Buffy episodes to watch. Oh, two Buffy's next? Yes. All right. Um, so yeah, okay. well, with that in mind, we'll uh, we'll have this second, the middle, the middle part of Daybreak uh, from BSG next time, along with uh, an episode of Buffy. Sounds good. See you then. Mm -hmm.